Good morning. It's September 25th, 2009. I'm Grace Ross, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. And I'm Mike Benedetti, and we're here again with Brendan Mellican. Good morning, sir. And uh, it is the autumn officially, and you can tell maybe that there's a lot of wind today. So I hope that there's not a lot of wind noise on the microphone. Um, we're going to be talking to Grace, who's running for District 4 City Councilor. Uh, today on the show in a little bit. First, I want to recap a couple events from last weekend. There was uh, the Mystery Band show. This is the thing where a bunch of people put their names in a hat, get pulled out. They get six to eight weeks to practice, create bands. They do a big show. It went good. Uh, this year, there was actually about a third as many uh, bands ended up at the end of the at the end of the process as last year. Sort of speculation as to why this is. I'm going to blame the economy, but it's a good it's a good project. Good way to get to know people and you know. People can't afford mysteries anymore. What do you think? People can't afford mysteries anymore. I mean, tough times. I wish Bruce was here. <laughs> it's what you'll have to say about mystery band, Brendan. Um, the other, the other thing was starting the starting the street this week, which was a fantastic festival. What did you guys uh, th I, think about that? You know, I've gone every year that they've had it. Uh, the two things that strike me is that every year it seems to continue growing, which I think is great. Uh, it was seemed much earlier that that Park Avenue was packed. I mean, literally a mob scene than last year. The other thing is that they always seem to get great weather. I, don't, I know of no other festival that's run, you know, a five-year streak and not even had a cloud pass by overhead, um, which is just amazing. And uh, I, I, but it's wonderful, right? I mean, that they're they're getting the opportunity, weather permitting, to have this really great event that I hope becomes a model for more events of similar scale throughout the city throughout the year. Grace, you have any thoughts on the start? Yeah, I mean, what I had said was that not only is it wonderful and I love all the artwork and the opportunity for local artisans to get involved um, but also that um, to me it is part of a larger trend I mean it was the one of four events or five major festivals in the space of two weeks it was very mm -hmm. exciting yeah oh there's also the main south festival on a saturday which is a nice little right there was the main south festival in the week before we had canal fest and pride so these are all sort of district four kinds of things and they were great and they show some of the diversity of district four it was great very cool very cool um let me think of there's anything else we need to get to before uh we get to this actually i wanted to uh uh, point out that the veg the uh, Worcester Vegetarian Food Festival is going to be probably in next April, possibly in Elm Park. Speaking of vegetarian renaissance, somewhere in here, I don't know. There's some sort of article about Veg Worcester in the Pulse, which I'm going to claim is some sort of evidence that the vegetarian renaissance is continuing. Continues. But uh, does this mean now this that it's in the Pulse? Does this mean the vegetarian renaissance has gone mainstream? That you guys have sold out? That you're actually just chasing advertising dollars. Vegetarianism is very mainstream. Vegetarian is very mainstream. It's very, very hip um, among certain quarters. These days. You were going to say? I was going to say, I mean, I think that, you know, there's this push now to ask folks to eat vegetarian one day a week at least. Um, and I think that it has some really interesting um, implications for our struggle in trying to improve the environment and global warming and our need to be thinking wisely about uh, not just ourselves, but the environment as a whole. So I think it's an interesting move. Also, also, it helps us to judge others, which that's the reason I'm very oh, interested see. in it. Here's, here it is. Here's the article. Veg Worcester. Beautiful logo. Um, uh, we have some other paperwork here, but let's uh, start off with interviewing Grace Ross. Um, and Grace is running for city council in District 4. District 4 is like Maine South. District 4 goes from Webster Square to Highland Street, Route 9, from Park Ave. And then the other side is a little hard to measure. It goes over to Vernon Hill at one point, and then it cuts back to Main Street. Okay, great. 
So here we have Grace Ross on the show today. She has run for the governor of Massachusetts. She's run at large for city council. This time, this year, she is running for District 4 city councilor. Grace, thanks for being on the show. Sure. Uh, why should people in District 4 vote for you? Um, well, I think the key issue is because the economy is continuing to get worse, and I think District 4 uh, not only struggles with the highest foreclosure rate, which is an issue I've been working on uh, for two years in depth, but also that it's going to keep getting worse, and District 4 is going to see most of the city cuts if we don't have a really strong advocate and, and somebody like me who's used to working with people you know, on the ground, door by door, street by street, to get involved in, in fighting for what they need. Um. What, qual what qualifications do you have to be a city councilor? Well, as I said, I think the key thing is that I've done policy work for years, and I've done it in a way that was about opening up the process to as many people as possible. And surely District 4, which has one of the lowest turnouts sometimes in elections, is the place that the most people need to get involved to make a real change and to bring a voice to city council that's going to um, really alter the dynamic so that District 4 is a place where people feel like they can get engaged, draw together the brilliant and really diverse resources of the district to fight for getting people back in their homes, getting uh, good jobs, decent paying jobs, uh, union jobs, green jobs, and um, fighting for all the things that are impacted, for instance, by them having cut the public health department and the services that uh, really uh, make a difference for people on the ground. Brendan, do you have any Questions? I did have one question. Um, if there was only one issue that you could deal with over the next two years, assuming if you if you were to get elected, there was just one issue that you you, you could focus on uh, to improve, you know, the district four. I, I think no matter who you asked, they would come up with a different set of issues that you know are relevant to district four. I think a lot of them are sometimes just stigmas that we've been able to shake, but some of them are, are real concerns and real issues. If just one that you could focus on and see through to uh, start to finish as district four's counselor. What would that be? Well, I think that the problem with the question is, of course, it's not one issue. Sure. They're intertangled with each other. I mean, I think it's basic to look at the issue of foreclosure because right now um, Worcester is, I think, got, I think Scott Heyman said we're at 1,000 uh, foreclosures in the last year. Um, those usually represent two households uh, on average, and in a city like this it's probably close to three households. Uh, the uh, former owner and two tenant households and right now the banks are just emptying people out so it is you can walk parts of the district and there's some parts that feel empty like you're in a ghost town but in some ways the more devastating parts are the places where there are households still you know thriving and holding on and next to them is a building that's been emptied out and uh, or that's in the process of somebody's like trying to hold on there who's willing to pay their rent they're willing to stay their kids are in the local school but now they can't get access to their their water or their electricity and if people know their rights and if we stand together we really could turn um, the economy around in in district four on the housing issue and it's going to be critical there's there are streets you can walk down where the buildings are boarded up and we just can't go there um, I want to ask a question that Gabe Rollins has asked which is what would you do to keep um, young people in Worcester because Worcester's a college town like all of Massachusetts you know Worcester's really depopulated in the 25 to 35 uh, mm -hmm. age range I mean is this an issue for you and if so what would you do um, I think it's a huge issue for the city in general, um, getting having things set up in a way that people stay here. 
and staying in Worcester is what's built our local businesses over the years and what's built our local energy and economy and I think a lot of the diversity of the city. So yes, I think it's a critical issue. I mean, I think that people are looking for opportunities. You know, I think people are looking for uh, an economy that's doing well enough that you can get a decent job, you can, can find a place to live. And I think that District 4 is a perfect example of this. We have tons of thriving um, or at least attempting to thrive small businesses and I was part of bringing Worcester Local First to the city as a way of finding a um, vehicle for small businesses to network together to build each other's strength to bring visibility uh, to our locally owned businesses so that folks don't just go spend their money on chains that you know the money goes right out of the city so I think that that kind of thing bringing green jobs I think a lot of uh, young folks more than gray-haired folks get it about uh, a clean environment, a healthy environment, doing something about global warming. And, you know, we're working right now on a huge initiative through the Green Jobs Coalition to bring a weatherization revolving loan fund uh, to the city as a whole, but we would start focused in a lot of the areas of District 4 and a lot of the, you know, the neighborhoods that are struggling the most. And those are jobs, and those are, are good-paying jobs, and that is going to turn a lot of people's economic situation around if they're not paying the ever-increasing utility bills and not struggling with trying to, you know, sort of balance that against the shrinking dollars a lot of us have for food and housing. So, uh, in the interest of disclosure, I should say that Grace is a friend of mine for some years now, uh, that I built Grace Ross's website, and I, I'm not working on this city council campaign, but worked on the last city council campaign. Um, and in fact, I'm not a big fan of Barbara Haller, and I think that despite the fact, and who is the incumbent in your district, and uh, you know, this very hardworking uh, city councilor, I think probably um, not a very effective city councilor for the amount of work that she puts into it. Um, that said, I think that Barbara, you know, Barbara, you know, Maine South is not falling apart. Maine South, I don't, I don't think of as being particularly neglected by the city, even though it's sort of the poor, the poor district, you know, the slummy district. Um, you know, like Barbara knows how to, you know, do constituent services. I think I, that's my impression. You know, Barbara knows how to get things done. Barbara knows how to, you know, make sure that the city manager doesn't neglect the things that need to, that need to happen in that district. And so, um, I think that some people would say, well, why should we, why should we trade somebody who is, you know, represented the district for some years now and seems to have done a reasonable job uh, for somebody who, you know, is coming, so somebody who's not served in city government at this point? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I think there'd be, of course, some argument about how effective she's been. I think there's no question she tries to be everywhere and she tries to connect with folks and I think she's, you know, a nice lady. Um, I think the really key, let's take the pools issue as an example, right? Uh, there's been a big fight about money um, to rebuild our neighborhood pools. There was literally hundreds of people have come out to hearings to say we want rebuilt our neighborhood sized pool. State of the art, yes, zero entry, all of the things that everybody would want from a pool that you're spending new money to build. Um, but they've asked for neighborhood sized pools and the biggest turnout actually was the one for Crystal uh, across from, from Clark. And we had over 150 people at that hearing. The voices have been absolutely clear. We want our neighborhood pools. We don't want spray parks. We, we don't even necessarily care about bells and whistles. We want something basic that's affordable. Um, so what happened, what happened was that because of some internal fights inside the city council and the city administration, they voted to spend $10.5 which is way more than any of us who've been working with people in the neighborhood asked for, uh, 
which most people would acknowledge, you know, we, we don't want to spend all the money there. You know, we'd like to spend some money on schools, for instance, or housing, like some really key things. What happens, they decide to build one mega pool uh, for $2.5 million. Uh, right now they're talking about Crompton Park. And that means District 4 goes from three pools that were in District 4 plus a fourth one, uh, Beaverbrook, which served District 4, to one mega pool that people are going to have a harder time getting to because of all the cuts in, in public transportation. The neighborhood-sized pools for, served not only a gathering point for people in the community, but also were accessible so that if you've got two kids of wildly different ages in tow, you can go down to your neighborhood pool uh, as the economy continues to struggle, people are going to need those kinds of free, safe, uh, good activities for their kids to be involved in. And instead of being able to do that, what do they get? They get one mega pool, which Barbara voted for. So after all of the sort of rhetoric about caring about the neighborhoods and the pools, they made a choice that was wildly expensive, doesn't serve the need. And that pool, the amount of money they're spending on it, they could rebuild three pools. And we would have money left over for the future to begin to draw in private matching funds and so, actually build more pools. So we've got a minute, about a minute left in this part of the interview. So how does this connect to... The issue here is that it's not enough to say, I have an avenue to the city manager and I'm going to get him to show up. You actually have to listen to the people in the district. You have to represent the people in the district. And you have to be willing to provide solutions that work at the neighborhood level, not some big fancy pool that you can cut a ribbon on. All right. Well... That's about the time that we have for that. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. Good luck with the uh, election. Um, now it's time for us to dwell on this big pile of paper laying in front of me. Blowing uh, wildly. All I know, the, all the Pulse strip club ads are flying around here. Um, we've got uh, Worcester Magazine this week has a, uh, a cover article about Sex offenders. Did you want to? You had a comment. I did. About you know, I noticed something really interesting in this article. It, it, it's. I think it's a, a well-written article, although I, I think it's framed in it, 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 rather poorly. Um, but you know, this is uh, an issue that has resurfaced again recently, where uh, it, it seems as though um, Billy Bro and Barbara Holler are now looking to change um, some ordinances in the city uh, to isolate, I guess, uh, level three sex offenders, um, from li keep them from living in, in clusters in, in District 4, which they view as a problem. And it, the article is, is rather informative, but there's this one section of it that stood out, jumped out at me. And uh, I'm just going to read here uh, a little bit. It says, uh, and this is, um, I think after we educate the public, it'll be better than a 50-50 chance that these ordinances will pass, say Brialt. Uh, that's saying we don't have a major tragedy, which would make it 90-10. If someone gets killed, then they'll make a move on it. Uh, Holler and Brialt say tragedy is a pivotal motivation. And I was reading this, and I'm thinking all I could picture was Donald Rumsfeld standing in front of a podium at the corner of Benefit and Main Street giving this speech that, like, wow, you know, it, it's, we can't actually debate this issue logically, right? We can't, we, we can't have a, a reasonable debate based on statistics and experiences of other communities. We just need to scare the hell out of everybody. And if we scare the hell out of everybody, then they'll do whatever we want. Because people are currently not scared of sex offenders. Well, <laughs> because people basically don't know... You don't no. turn on your, your evening news and see story after story after story about, you know, little kids getting plucked off the side. Nobody has any... Nobody Nobody has any knowledge about that. And, and the unfortunate thing is, I, I think most of us who've ever paid attention to the issue of, of sex offenders, when it, especially when it comes to children, realize that it's an unfortunate statistical anomaly. You know, it's something that is, is horrible when it happens, but it doesn't happen as often as many people like to think that it, 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 it does occur. That doesn't mean we can just ignore it, right? But it means that we have to really think through the best way as a society to uh, control what is a problem, not have giant blanket approaches to, to, to an issue. You need to really, really think it through and not, not 
reshape the the landscape of a community at large, which seems to be the, the suggestion that uh, at least Billy Bro is, is coming up with, that we need to um, re-cluster already existing clusters of, of sex offenders. Um, but that's, uh, I, I just found it fascinating that what we're actually shooting for now is tragedy. We need more tragedy in the city to uh, drive home a point that may be standing on flimsy legs to begin with. Well, I wanted to uh, uh, also bring up El Planeta because we're just too—we're very English-focused in this show. Um, nice article by my friend Ines Barone, Nueva Funcionaria Hispana Lucha por Derechos Humanos, about her work with the Human Rights Commission, um, helping people uh, deal with uh, the, working for the city, helping people uh, who feel like um, they're getting a raw deal, and uh, possibly because they don't speak English or because of their ethnic background to. Uh, Get a get a straight get a straight deal from the system. Um, interesting, Stephen Buckalter. How do you say this guy's last name? Still have no idea. Buckalter. Buckalter. Stephen Buckalter. Interesting, Stephen Buckalter mailing. Stephen Buckalter for City Council. A new look for Worcester. Have you seen this? It's a new look. And he has kind of interesting. The trouble is, he's kind of an interesting hair, shiny face, good tan, which makes me think a new look for Worcester. That this is just kind of like it just really reminds me of a salon ad. <laughs> We <laughs> put it next to one of the tanning salon ads from the Pulse and see if we can tell the difference. Oh, here, <laughs> let me, I'm, I'm going to hand you the camera for the next second. Very unsteady hands. Let's see here. Do we have any? Yeah, you could totally imagine. Stephen Buckalter with all these smiling kids here. Where's the tanning salon ad? Yep. Club Universe? Oh, yeah. Yep, that's right. Totally. Uh, you know, I make, you fun of this, I make fun of this magazine for having a lot of tanning. Yeah. Oh, this is a tanning salon ad. There it is. <laughs> Glow tanning yeah. Anyway, this is this is just what we. I think we normally don't make fun of the candidates, but we like to make fun of their mailings on this program. The last time, of course, I think the great one was uh, Joe Petty holding the trumpet. The as, silent man. The quiet man. <laughs> Petty. Um, I wanted to. How many minutes do we have left? Um, about three. <laughs> What's the time? Seventeen forty. Oh, we got plenty. Um, I wanted to read this this letter from Worcester Magazine because it ties. We, you know, we're, we're we're currently in the midst of going back on our promise to stop talking so much about city council politics, and we're uh, all, now going to go back on our promise to complain less about the newspapers. We're going to complain about the newspapers for a few minutes here. Beautiful letter in Worcester Magazine this week. Um, this is just an incredible letter for so many reasons. I want to try to read this letter and then see how long we have to comment on it. This letter is called "Stories Do a Disservice to Worcester." That's two. Two articles that loudly trumpet both the problem and the solution. Obvious. You'd think a nose on one's face wouldn't be more obvious. Or maybe you're too busy yawning and the electorate is asleep at the switch. First, the pessimistic article written a few months back by Scott Zoback about politics as usual, as if politicians and corruption were as old and common partners as a peanut butter and jelly, together as a sandwich left in a school locker over the summer. Then, as if a one-two body blow, the headline for September 10th morosely shouts at you, who the hell would want to be mayor anyway? My God, can it be more obvious? This is too lazy to be malaise. No wonder people are angry. Telling Americans, true Americans, that there is no hope is like pouring blood in front of a shark. Or have reporters forgotten this? The job of the Fourth Estate is to keep people informed, not sonambulant. Is there no one to be mayor? Is there no one to tear down the dynasties of corruption that think Massachusetts is a pile of dog manure and that they're deserving flies ready to lay their maggot children on the steaming pile of largesse? Jesus Keyrist, all of you at Worcester Mag or the Telegram and Gazette, 
can't find someone? Are you looking? Are you staking out senior centers and high schools, PTO meetings, street corners? Who are you encouraging with poison sleeping pills like these two articles? There are people out there who have the leadership skills and charisma and know how to make Worcester great, but maybe they don't want to stick their faces into piles of manure so that they can play politics with the sort of people most prostitutes would charge extra just to dance with. Maybe they would be encouraged by encouraging articles, not poison sleeping pills buffered with the deadly medicine called politics as usual. I am not a native of Worcester. Though I went to college here and loved the town, and even I find the yawning whine that, quote, politics as usual is too usual to change and who would want to be mayor, unquote, enough to chase me to Paxton or Pittsfield. Hell, I would be mayor and think it an honor. I think dead and decaying in a hole, I could do a better job leading Worcester. But then, who am I? I guess without the cachet of a political daddy so dirty that dirt wouldn't dirty itself to touch him, or a political mama Satan wouldn't kiss, I haven't a chance, huh? Too busy looking up a mannequin's skirt, looking for reasons not to do anything in all the wrong places, to find real citizens who want to do real work but not be smeared like the bottom of a shoe? Politics is dirty, some will say or report. Well, so is prostitution, but that doesn't mean you sanctify it with matrimony. You fight it! This is all in caps. You rage at it! You don't whimper at it. Where is the morale builder? Where is the cheerleading? Where is the support? Maybe you can find others out there who would do... Maybe if you can find out if there are others who would do a better job. Maybe if you stopped thinking being beaten with a ballot box once or twice every five years is the norm, Maybe, just maybe, you can find someone who can do the job. Worcester is too great a city to be anything but a crowning jewel that could so easily overshadow Boston as to make Boston become a suburb of Worcester. Unless dreary pieces are spewed onto the media, vaguely bemoaning politics as usual. Ho-hum. I'm not going to read the author's name because this is not really about him personally. Uh, what, what's the time now? 22 even. 22 even. Stop, stop me at like around 28. Um, uh, <clears throat> I think that it's true that the... I think that it's true that... Uh, some of this is not true and some of this is probably true. I think this is a grand letter. I think that the telegramming is... Or the Worcester Magazine have to be so happy that they can print this because this proves to their advertisers that there are people who like read this paper with a passion. Man, oh man. Um, I think it's true that there is like a certain amount of... Uh, making politics in Worcester too boring in the press. You know, that like, politics is kind of boring, like it's unavoidably boring. I don't think that you should necessarily tart it up. Um, I think that the broadcast media in Worcester especially are, you know, very often either don't take things seriously and just tart them up and make them a big joke or just a big uproar, or else they treat them seriously and make them super boring. And I think that they're doing a disservice. They make them more boring than it has to be. Um, I think the Worcester Magazine actually is probably like the le least, less, le less uh, uh, guilty of this. Um, than anybody probably. I also think that like nobody who's going to run for mayor is going to be dissuaded by little comments in the newspaper. It's not necessarily these jobs to become um, uh, uh, a cheerleader, and that these are like small. I mean, this is like small potatoes, right? I mean, like the world is the world is a lot larger than the Telegram and Gazette or the Worcester Magazine, and you know, somebody who's serious about becoming interested in politics, you know, people who are not serious, you know, it, it's helpful to be brought into the process through an article. But people who are serious about politics or people who are serious about changing the city are not going to be dissuaded by. It. 
a little opinionating in the uh, in the newspaper here. Um, we should also point out this is like 2009, right? Like I would love to see this fellow blogging. I would love to see this fellow creating a television show like this. If this there needs to be a cheerleader, this guy should be the cheerleader from Politics in Worcester. From his outpost in, in rural Charlton, this guy could be our leader. Um, after hearing you read that, I'm not convinced that it wasn't you who wrote the letter just so you could read it that way. <laughs> I kind, of, you know, I kind of was reading it again. I read this letter like 12 times. I kind of was reading it again last night, and I was thinking, as I was going to sleep, could this letter just be a joke? But I don't think so. I mean, there are parts of it that are sort of wild and out of control, but I feel like overall there's a lot of passion in this letter. I wanted to bring up um, uh, uh, a thing about the future of newspapers. So I think that the, the, the other thing that this guy doesn't seem to realize, is that, you know, and I, I think it's a great letter. He should be proud of writing this letter and having it published. Um, is that like these, these newspapers that he's complaining about are falling apart, right? Like this is just like one of the big stories of you know the last couple of years, underreported story because they don't want to talk about how they're doing terribly, but they're doing terribly. And there was a fascinating Clay Shirky uh, talk this week. I think it was also transcribed. I'm going to forward that to you, Brendan, where he was he was he was pointing out that according to one calculation, 85% of public interest journalism is done by newspapers. And he sort of took two he sort of took two things out of this. One thing was that. Um, it's a really fragile system. The new system is really fragile. If 85% of a certain kind of journalism is being done by a certain class of institution, which is a fading class of institution, right? Newspapers have not been around forever, and they're not going to be around forever. They, you know, there's a certain set of historical circumstances that made them work, and those circumstances have changed, and they don't really work. And he's not saying the newspapers go away, but one thing he says is that he wouldn't be surprised if, if every, every city below, say, 500,000 people just didn't have a newspaper and so fell into a sort of low-level corruption for at least a while, sort of endemic corruption for a while, mm -hmm. you know, uh, which I think is an interesting point. The other thing he says is he, that, that, that you don't want to find something to replace that 85%. You don't want to find one thing to do that 85%. It's so cold and windy today, that's what I'm starting to shift for now. You're <laughs> be wearing shorts. He's, he said the better idea is to create something that does 5% and then try to find 17 of those things. And um, what are you, you're nodding your head now. <laughs> no, the, part of the reason why newspapers are a, play a particular role, and I think that when TV news used to be longer, yeah. it used to play some of this role, but you actually can't have a thriving democracy if there isn't a forum that most people read, because otherwise what happens is you end up with no real, there's no, there's no public context in which the, the political dialogue happens. So if you have 17 of them, then everybody will pick up the one they already agree with. They'll only read that, and we no, end up no, where no, we no, are no. now. So this is not, so, so people, people are going to piece together their information how they're going to piece together their information. This is what I think is going to happen. This is what I think he would say is going to happen in the future. But, what you wanna, but if you look at the way that reporting is being done today, for example, about um, uh, you know, stuff involving you know, warrantless wiretaps or stuff involving uh, uh, um, you know, stuff going on in Guantanamo, there are several reporters doing a lot of work on that. Also, a hell of a lot of work on that story was done by the ACLU. And oh, doing no, freedom of and so true. right, but what I'm saying is, that, so you have a class of organization that's doing some some percentage of actually what's being broken in the newspapers now. Yeah, they're probably doing the more, muckraking. Probably piece. more than ever, more, ever before, yes. is that the muckraking is being done in that case by a certain kind of nonprofit. Right. Or this thing with the acorn, which is being done by a guy with a video camera, that you could that you still might have something like a newspaper or something like a large or you know something like a news organization that's able to put its put its imprimatur on news, but that the and, and say these are valid stories and these are stories that you should be reading as somebody who's interested in the city of Worcester. You know, but it's not to say that, but the, the money to pay the guy to do that work in the ACO use case is coming like, because they're this nonprofit, you know, 
Uh, in the acorn guy's case, I don't know enough about, about, the, about the guy's background. The idea being, though, that, that you need to figure out other ways to do news gathering. I mean, NPR is another example of like a weird nonprofit way that doesn't break a lot of stories, but does break some stories and does do a lot of. Used to break more stories. And, and, but when but they does had do more a staff. But does do a certain amount of serious news gathering. So so and and that the problem is that. How many minutes do we have now? You're at 2750. 2750. I would just say that like. I, everybody who I talk, uh, some some people who I talk to about this idea come back with that response, which is that like nothing can replace a newspaper, and I think that nothing can replace. I'm a not newspaper. saying a newspaper. I'm saying a forum. A forum, as so, opposed to there should be many a... diverse forums where people don't disagree with each other directly. It's like you you follow the story that you want to follow, and the anecdote I would attach to that is that when I ran for governor, there were almost no stories ever broken by anybody who I ever spoke to or any other candidate spoke to that the candidates themselves hadn't already broken. And so what that meant was that the public was overwhelmingly uninformed about the background of the people that they were voting for mm -hmm. because the newspapers had already lost so much staff. Right. And without that forum for public debate, where, where we get information and then you and I can violently disagree if we need to about our opinions about it, right. we end up with what we have now right. with people breaking up forums based on information that has never been vetted in the public Are we sphere. Are below 29 minutes now? Uh, we got three seconds, three minutes, three seconds left actually, yeah. It's, it's. Thanks for watching the show, guys. Oh, oh, it's still going. You didn't press stop. Oh. Um, I would just say in our last few seconds of the show today, thanks for watching the show, um, that part of the reason that you have those kinds of forums is because the industrial model of newspapers is based on how far can you profitably drive a truck full of paper. The industrial model of broadcast journalism is based on how far can you send a radio signal from a tower. And that the, that the internet is not geographically based like that. So it's hard to see why you would need, it's hard to see how you naturally develop large forums that are just forced, that are forced that way economically. Rambling, that's the end of the show. Grace Ross, thanks for being on the show. Brandon Milliken, thanks for being on the Pleasure show. Pleasure as always. <laughs> we'll, we'll continue the comment, we'll continue the conversation online. Bye guys.